Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Sunira Mandani, to our show today. Sunira is the co-founder and CEO of Stax, an innovative tech company that radically simplifies the payment ecosystem. After graduating from college, Sunira decided to work at a consumer goods company. And after three years, she realized that maybe the corporate world wasn't for her. She was later recruited by a payment processing company, and it was then she realized she wanted to go off and do something on her own. At the young age, age of 26 without money, an MBA, or any corporate leadership experience, and after she was laughed out of her boss's office, Sunira began building her now billion dollar business inside her parents' Orlando home. Flash forward eight years after raising 245 million in venture capital, Sunira now leads a team of over 300 employees and is committed to helping fellow women and minorities reach similar milestones in the business world. She is also the founder of CEO School, which is a podcast and an eight week program that helps women become entrepreneurs and CEOs and is on the mission to change the fact that 2% of female founders hit a million in revenue and around less than 18% ever hit six figures, which just blows my mind. We got to change that. But this is a really fun interview. We talk about all things from how Sunira decided to take the leap from her very stable corporate job to tackling imposter syndrome and perfectionism and how she actually was a reluctant entrepreneur in the early days. We also talk about the importance of representation, time management, and how she structures her days and still spends quality time with her two young daughters while running her billion dollar business. Welcome to the show, Sunira. I'm so excited to be here, Yasmeen. I know we, we were just chatting before the show and I feel like we're going to be best friends as per the usual. This is how this always happens. <laughs> Honestly, so many of my friends have come this way. It's really awkward. No, it's true. It's because I feel like we're both very intentional about who we want on the podcast and who we connect with and it's people we jive with. So I'm super pumped for our audience to learn more about you. And I know I was mentioning this to you before, but just for the audience, you know, I've been following Sunira for over two years now. And I think, you know, you are just the real deal when it comes to how do you build a real sustainable business and just being very real and authentic about what it takes. And that's what I'm passionate about. So I am fired up. I'm talking so fast right now because I can't wait to talk about everything. But truly, it's such an honor, Sunira, and I can't wait to jump into it. So I'd actually love to start with a higher level question before we go through your story. You know, so much of your story is about breaking free of expectations and stepping into the life that you were meant to live. Why do you think there's so many people who might be listening today who might get stuck living a life of other people's expectations and not really going after their true goals and their dreams? I love this question. And I love that we're kicking off with this question because I feel like my entire life, I was almost told what to do. Or if it wasn't even told what to do, it was my own expectation of what I should be doing. I always say like as women, we should all over ourselves. Like we absolutely do. And we're living this comparison culture. We live in this culture of looking at what society defines as success for us 
versus looking intrinsically and saying, what is our own definition of success? And really understanding deeply our why, really understanding deeply what matters to us most, really understanding deeply our core values, really understanding deeply of who we are first as like humans, and then determining like what our lives should be built around that. And so I kind of fell into this hamster wheel. I know that many, many women can relate to this is that we're just on this hamster wheel on this cycle of success. And we have a goal and goals are great. Trust me when I'm going to tell you the goals that I had and what I was able to accomplish, you're going to say, wait, wait, but you did that, but hear me out. So we set a goal. And as soon as we have the goal, we're climbing to that goal. And before we even reach that goal, we raise the bar. And then we were climbing towards the next goal. And before we even reach the goal, we raise the bar. And so we're in this cycle of do more, more, more. And you kind of catch yourself later and you're like, wait, I did all of that. And we stop giving ourselves credit for all of this amazing stuff that we're doing. And we're constantly feeling shitty about like what's ahead and how we're not there. And so this is something that I really believe that we should really take pause. And this is not like this, like, Thing that we do in the beginning of the year when we do our New Year's resolutions, right? Yes, I mean, it's not like we're doing our New Year's resolutions. We want to do all these things. Like, how do you actually really check in with yourself? Like, how are you really? Like, what are your real goals? And when was the last time like you assessed that and not letting the world dictate that or not letting your manager dictate that or not letting your best friend dictate that or your husband or your spouse or your partner or your parents or your society or your immigrant culture, like everything else that we have around us. So stop shitting all over yourself and like take a check and audit of what you really want. Oh, I love that. And I think just taking the pause to really evaluate your needs and your values, because like you said, once you hit that goal, there's another goal ahead. And even if you're in the corporate world or running your business, that is always a moving target and your happiness is not going to get to that level once you hit those various goals. So I think checking in with yourself and we'll talk more about just your journey building stacks and just how important that's become to you a little bit later. But I want to kind of zoom back out and talk about your upbringing. You know, your mom and your dad moved to Pakistan separately and they both were entrepreneurs. And like you said, because of necessity, not out of want, right? They couldn't get typical jobs just being the immigrants they were at the time. So I'd love to hear more about your upbringing and how you think those experiences really shape the way you think about business and entrepreneurship. Yes. So yes, my parents immigrated from Pakistan to America independently. They met in Chicago. They were young teenagers and they each have such a unique story of how they came to America. And it's something that I think any immigrant, you know, first generation, any like, you know, you hear the stories of your parents and you truly do take their sacrifices with you. Like it's definitely, I don't want to call it a burden. That's the word that's coming to mind right now, but it's definitely this that their sacrifices carry with you and their heart carries with you. And it's important that you succeed for so that their sacrifices and the things that they went through, like don't go to waste. And so you really do carry that as an immigrant kid. And, you know, my parents, I could sit here and talk about them for the rest of this episode. My mom's actually in my house right now. She's always here. Actually, My mom lives across the street and she's with my girls right now because it's summer and they're out of school. So I'm working from home today and she's helping out. So my parents immigrated here and they became entrepreneurs at an early age, but it was out of necessity is what I say. It wasn't because entrepreneurship now, I mean, it's so revered, it's sexy, it's cool to be an entrepreneur. Nobody wants to even finish college anymore. Everybody just wants to be an entrepreneur and that is amazing or have a side hustle. And I totally encourage entrepreneurship. But in the early 80s, especially as 
immigrants, like you kind of didn't have a choice. Either you were, if you didn't have an education, so they weren't doctors, they didn't have like a formal education. They didn't even graduate high school, you know? And so for them, it was either doing odd jobs, which they did, or entrepreneurship was almost their only way to the American dream, to have a life of respect and to have a life that they built for themselves. And so by every cliche thing, like my parents bought a convenience store. So I grew up in small businesses my entire life. And, you know, my parents started off with one convenience store and then added more and then went into other businesses. And it was always small business that they were doing. But my brother and I were always part of that every day. Like, and it wasn't that child labor, like we're coming after school and like working at the store, which definitely took place. Like we were definitely (laughs) working at the store, but it was, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. Like I 100% now as a mother and as an entrepreneur, I look back and I'm like, man, Snare, like that was your MBA your entire life. And I remember I was actually on an interview yesterday with entrepreneur and I was telling them, like, I remember when I was maybe like seven years old and I was like putting the cans, like grocery cans, like on a shelf. And this is before you had like fancy systems or whatever. So you had like a sticker gun, like you had to like put the stickers on top of it. And my dad came by to check. He gave me a task to put the cans in order. And so I made sure that they were lined up correctly, but I took a shortcut and I was like just slapping on the stickers like fast. And so they weren't neat. And so he came back and he was like, okay, I appreciate how you did this. And he like gave me feedback, but he was like, but look, like if you're going to do it, let's complete it with care. And so you see how your sticker is here and then one is here and then one is sideways. And like, this one's kind of backwards. And so I remember like, he was like, let's take these out. And I was like, but it's good enough, you know? And he was like, it's good enough, but this is how we're going to differentiate ourselves than compared to the other store that when our customers come here, it feels a certain way. It looks a certain way. And so I just, I go back and I think about that memory of me taking out those stickers and redoing that shelf and doing it right and doing it with quality and doing it with care. And I just, you know, those were the experiences that I had growing up and I I wouldn't trade it for the world. And it's definitely made me the entrepreneur that I am today. Absolutely. And you've talked about all those amazing experiences as kind of your MBA. But what's interesting is that you never wanted to initially start your own business and be an entrepreneur. So I know you studied finance in undergrad and had a few corporate stints. So tell me more about that experience and what really led you to eventually starting Stacks at what, 24? You were very, very young. Yes. And I did not want to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a dentist, right? Because like the American dream for my parents was for us to get educated, right? And to have steady jobs and to have, you know, whether it was doctor, lawyer, corporate, corporate finance, like that is what their dream was for us. I was the first person in my family to graduate university, to graduate college. I got a degree from University of Florida and it's a big deal. Like that was their American dream was for my brother and I to have steady jobs that we didn't have to bring home the stress like they had to do. Right. And so to them, that was how you make it. And so entrepreneurship was not something that I even imagined for myself. And I saw firsthand the struggles of entrepreneurship. So it's not like we had all of these successes. We had tons of successes, tons of things that didn't work out. And I saw that level of pressure that my parents like carried home with them every day. And so I actually was running far from entrepreneurship. I did not want to become an entrepreneur. I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. And I was working in corporate. I got a degree in finance and marketing. And it doesn't make sense for many people, but it makes complete sense if you know me. I love data. I love finance. I love numbers. I love like just that. But I also have this really, really creative side to me. I love 
branding and messaging. And I love to write and I just love marketing so much. So it makes complete sense in my brain. And I ended up working in corporate positions and I was so unhappy. I mean, it was just, you know, I, I got the jobs, I got the 401k, I got the things, but I was just a serial number on a laptop. It wasn't really making a difference. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel I had a seat at the table anywhere. And it wasn't even just about like being a woman in corporate America, like all of those things I look back and I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Right. Like, but when you're going through it, you're not thinking about that. I was just thinking about how to succeed and how to make an impact. And you look back and you're like, man, this shit was so racist, so biased and so sexist and so ageist as well. Everything, right? You're young, right? People also just discount that because you don't have experience. You could be so much smarter than the person on the other side who has all the air quotes experience in the world. Anyway, I was in corporate, I was super unhappy, didn't really feel purpose driven. And although I had the paycheck and I had the 401k, I was just like not fulfilled in, you know, having any meaning in my life per se. And that is really interesting because I was only 25 years old, so I didn't need to have a ton of meaning. But this is what I'm talking about where you go through the process because you should go through the process. So I wanted to become a manager. I was on track to become a manager because I should, that was like the next piece of my journey. So this is like one of the things that I talk about now. I'm like, man, I should have not listened to like, I was just in this wheel of doing things because I was supposed to do that. And I left my job. I was working for a payment card company, like a credit card processing company, a really large one. And I learned the industry and guess what? My sector was small business. I was like super excited. I felt like it was really cool. We were becoming more and more cashless as a society. This is 2011. And so it doesn't seem that long ago, but over a decade ago, y'all, there's been a lot of enhancements in technology, especially when it comes to commerce. And commerce was like not talked about. It was just like cash or you had a payment terminal to accept your payments. And so I'll date myself, but I was literally, you know, selling payment terminals out of the trunk of my like car at one point, convincing like retailers that like Ethernet would change the game for them and have like faster speed. So I've really been around the block when it comes to payments. I knew my products, I knew the industry, I was well educated. And I saw that there was this need of all this data, so much data flowing into that box, that literal black box. No one was doing anything meaningful with that data. And I'm like, man, if only my parents had like what customers are returning, like how are their average tickets, like just having more information around that data to grow the business instead of it just being like every business owner I met was just like, oh, my fees are too expensive and I hate my credit card processor. Like those were the two chalk tracks. I'm like, why isn't anybody just fixing this? There's so much opportunity here if we just turn this like into tech. And so I went to my headquarters. I pitched this idea to my bosses because I was like, I had no desire to go do this on my own. I just was like, my company should do it. And I just wanted to like be successful in my company and like lead a team. Like all I wanted to do was be a manager. I don't know why. And now I have 300 like team members and all I want to do is not lead any teams, but all I wanted to do was be a manager and like bring this to life. I pretty much long story short, I get rejected, pretty much get left out of the room. Why would anybody change the way this industry is run? Why would we want to invest in technology? And then I had this really unique pricing model, which was, it was a subscription-based model, which meant like it's a flat fee, just like a software. And then you get unlimited usage out of that. And so that would save, like we would have to go direct to the card brands and I won't get technical, but it was really novel. It was really cool. And we were coined, like literally we're the Netflix of credit card processing. So we like changed the industry. But I knew that this was going to be 
massive. It was going to be scalable. It was going to be perfect for my company. Nobody wanted to listen. Like Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to listen. All because why would we need to? It's always been done this way. Yes. And plus also, I'm 26 years old. I'm a woman. There's no women in the company. Like every woman in the company was in like a customer support admin position, like no women in leadership, absolutely no women in fintech, definitely no CEOs in the payments industry. Like there's no representation. So I discounted myself off the bat. Like I didn't even give myself a shot. And I look back and I'm like, like representation matters so much in our unbiased. And I'll come full circle here on what happened, but pretty much I quit my job. I ended up trying to pitch this idea to about 12 different companies. I get rejected and rejected and rejected. I'm home one dinner and my family is just like, why don't you go do this? Like my dad's like, why don't you just go do this? And my brother was at dinner. He was working for a startup in California. He got super excited. He's like, you need to do this and I'll come join you too. And I I didn't need any assistance in that way, but just that vote of confidence is what I needed. And so I left literally that day. I was like, gave myself six months and I started Stacks, which was formerly known as Fat Merchant. That was the original company name and got it started. And the first year we did 5 million in payments. Now we're doing 23 billion in payments. We serve 30,000 customers. We literally got valued at a billion. We're doing a hundred million in revenue. Like it's insane. And I, every time I say this, like, I'm like, yeah, that's my real story. This is real life. And it's nuts, but it's possible. And I learned so much along the way. And now I'm just like, just sharing all of that because I was so tired. Now I realize all of those things that I went through over the last decade. I'm like, shit, like I didn't have to go through that. I didn't go to CEO school. I had so much imposter syndrome. I was like, my whole world was dictated by everybody else and not that confidence in me. So I become really passionate about helping women also achieve whatever that level of success looks like, but on their terms. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. 
But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. Oh my gosh, there's so much I want to unpack in everything that you just said. I don't even know what question to start with, but let's talk about imposter syndrome. Like talk about, you know, going back to the very early days, there's two thoughts that come to mind. It's interesting because I had a very similar story is you had these ideas, but you never think about yourself doing it. And I don't know if it's a function of, like you said, representation, seeing other people doing it. And it wasn't until my husband was like, why don't you do it? And it's just something clicked. And you're like, why didn't I think about this before? So I think, like you said, representation matters, but also you were talking about, you know, having that imposter syndrome, right? You didn't have a quote unquote tech background, right? You didn't get like that Stanford MBA that typically people in fintech just stereotypically have. So how did you deal with that imposter syndrome in those very early days? Because I think it's such a vulnerable position to be in when you are just launching a business and you have no idea how others are going to really make of it. It is so difficult. I will say when I look back, I'm like, either I was like, I don't know where that risk and that boldness came from. I will say, I think what helped was I didn't have anybody else to take care of but myself. So I was really young. I didn't have children. I didn't have like a family. I think that like looking back now as a mom of two, I think my choices are definitely more risk averse than they were in my 20s. But I will say that like the notion still there of like for many, many women, even at my stage, I still feel imposter syndrome. Like I still feel it every single day. And I'm sitting with the greatest and the best. And even that gets me like, oh my God, I don't belong here. But I absolutely do. I think it's, it's psyche. So honestly, if you break it down, yes, I mean, I think it's just, it's not our fault, right? It's not our fault. We've been told our whole lives to sit in a corner and to stay quiet and to be good little girls and to be humble. Right. And especially as a South Asian woman, man, I look back and my parents were so empowering, which was amazing. Cause I didn't grow up. I think it, that would have changed my narrative also in my confidence. But at the same time, like I just remember that, Things are were different for my brother than they were for me, right? And you do have like the good daughter mentality and the good wife mentality and being a good mom and, you know, having and all of those things are important to me. It's not because it's important to my culture. Like those things are important to me, but you're just in doubt, right? So what I want to say to the women listening who are like, I do feel all of these things or that scenario, like I hear you, I, I have that imposter syndrome. I just want you to know it's not your fault and it's okay. Okay. So it's totally okay. It's really normal. Everybody has it. 
right? Men have it too. They just don't talk about it like the way we're talking about it right now. So we all have it. And the only piece of advice I have for you is to ask yourself, what's the worst that's going to happen? That's it. And I think that that's the game changer for me. Cause I think at that moment when my family was like, you should go do this. And I was like, you know what? What's the worst that's going to happen? I gave myself six months. I'm like, I'm going to fail. Okay, great. I'm going to lose, you know, my savings. Okay, great. I'm going to do what is the worst thing that's going to happen? And you realize that the worst is actually not as bad as we mentally make it out to be. So I think if you actually ask yourself that question and get it out loud, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And this applies to anything, right? Like if you want to ask for that raise, if you want to go for that promotion, if you want to, you know, speak on a stage or apply for an award or or do whatever the things that you want to do, start that podcast, start that business, start that side hustle, you know, have a hard conversation, whatever it is, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? And so it's actually not that bad when you think about it. And so going for it is half the battle. It's like literally half the battle is showing up. It does not matter what happens on the other side because nine out of 10 times, it's actually going to work out. And we take that one time, that 10% that we're like, oh, it might not work out. And that becomes our 90% in our brain. And so it's all this psyche and we have to keep our psyche in check. And so as a CEO, as like every single day, I work on how to make sure that I'm showing up in like my best confidence with the best mental health, with the best tools. And so there are so many great tools that, you know, I talk about on my podcast that I share in, you know, at CEO school and like that I think that women can apply every day just to get themselves out of your head. And what I just want you to know is even today at a billion dollar business with literally accomplished everything I could have ever imagined, I still feel imposter syndrome still today. So I have to still break through that. And I do that with daily affirmations. I do that with journaling. I do that by just going for it. And I do that while sometimes embarrassing myself, right? We just talked about my social media is like, literally, I'm a fool for the internet is what I call it. <laughs> I'm a fool. I'm a business woman fool for the internet, but I'm so tired of like entrepreneurship looking a certain way. And so I'm like, dude, if I'm not going to fucking be vulnerable, if I'm not going to share what's actually happening, like this is my job to do. So I feel it's really hard to do. It's very vulnerable to do. But at the same time, what's the worst going to happen? Some troll's not going to like it. Someone's going to be pissed about it. Someone's going to unfollow you. Great. They're not your people anyway. So Exactly. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. And you know, you did the Instagram live. I think it was like earlier in May that I was just telling you before the interview, like I teared up because it was just so much that resonated and you're just so real and authentic. But you were saying, I believe, you know, you still have fears. You have this billion dollar business and you know, you have this 1% fear of like, maybe they'll kick you out as CEO and bring in someone, you know, like, so I appreciate just how vulnerable you are because everybody has these thoughts and it's not about you being successful, not having it. It's just how do we work on our mindset and make sure that we are really thinking positively and like you said, so many tools with CEO school, which we'll put in our show notes and just affirmations, but it's an active thing you do all the time and you show up as yourself. And I'm curious to get your thoughts, but in a matter of time, doesn't it get a little bit easier? Like it's always tough in the beginning and it's like a muscle that you build, right? It absolutely is a muscle. Like anything that you do multiple times, whether it's taking risk or showing up or whatever it is, it does become easier because you become more experienced. Something I always say is if you could do it once, you could do it again. And if you could do it again, you could do it better. Like every single time. And so the first time is always the hardest. And it's not that like, and as you scale, like in business or in life, like the problems also increase differently, right? When I look back at my twenties, I'm like, dude, that used to bother me. Like that was a challenge, right? And I'm sure that when I'm in my forties, it's going to be the same, right? 
because you grow with experience. And so giving yourself grace, like talk to yourself like you would your best friend. How do you talk to your best friend? You talk to her with kindness and love and compassion and confidence and tell her she's a rock star that she could do anything. Why do we talk to ourselves like we're like an asshole? Like, why do we talk to ourselves that way? So talk to yourself like you're your best friend. And it really helps me. I really believe in journaling. So I'm a huge, huge, huge journaler. It takes two minutes out of my day. I have an incredible journal that I use. I use my own journal, the CEO school journal, which I'm sure we'll talk about here shortly, but I built it because I was like, I couldn't find something that could be my journal, my affirmations, my gratitude, and my like actual organized life that I live. And so it takes two seconds. I have like three gratitudes that I do as a starting my morning off gratitude, my three affirmations, and then just an open quickly, just there's easy journal prompts in there that even if you just write down to tell yourself how you're feeling or to give yourself that confidence, sometimes when we write it to us, like as if we are our best friend is easier than like actually believing it. So sometimes pen is easier in that way. And so I'm a huge believer in that. And no, I don't wake up at five in the morning and do my journal and meditation and matcha and yoga. And then I like, you know, like look perfect. And then my kids wake up and perfect mom life. Like that is not my life. It's super fucking chaotic. It's a shit show in the morning getting out of the house with my kids and like getting to the office and getting everyone situated. So I do it at my desk. Like I do it when I get to the office. So you can design your life the way that you want. But again, that's the shitting, right? That's like the internet telling us that we need to wake up at five in the morning and do our like perfect routine. That's an 18 year old on TikTok who does not have like anything else like besides doing that, like, right? That's not real life. And so it could be real life for some. I'm not discounting that. There are mornings I wake up and I have that perfect, (laughs) but don't put that pressure on yourself. Absolutely. And one thing that you talked about, you know, is about perfection. And I know in the early days of Stacks, especially, you really drilled in the importance of progress versus perfection. So let's talk about this because I think especially as women, there's so many people that want their business or their idea or whatever it could be in your work setting to be perfect before they put it out there. I'd love to get your perspective on this because I think it's so important. (laughs) Oh my God, stop fucking doing that. It is literally the worst thing you can do. I'm like leaning into my mic right now. Get it out. Okay. The best thing that you can do done is better than perfect. And you are going to spend so much time worrying about details that nobody else cares about. Okay. That is the hard truth. 80%. I always follow the 80, 20 rule, 80%. It's good enough. Can you sit here and spend that 20% and make it? And I'm not saying that it's not that again, going back to my seven-year-old self, it's that quality, right? I love the quality, but there are times where that matters. Like in your customer experience, like spend time on the areas that are needle moving, right? And in our minds as women, especially when it comes to our websites and our brands and like getting the perfect product launch, thinking of every damn feature, like it's too complicated. We overcomplicate things. Simple is better and just get it out. And I promise you, I'm at my like stacks is now probably at, it's like, I don't know, 20th version of its website (laughs) years ago. I changed the name of the company. It was fat merchant for literally up until it's like, we're probably like 15 million in revenue, 20 million, like literally in 2020 is when we changed the name of the company. That's a huge move to make, but you have to continue to like, you will be iterating on your product. You will be iterating on your service. If you think you're done, like you're never going to succeed in business. So get it out and trust it, trust your gut. And then listen to the feedback of your customers, right? Because imagine this, you spend all of this time perfecting it, time, money, resources, headache, then you get it out there and you find, and then you know what happens? Maybe a competitor comes to market. 
right? And maybe it's perfectly timed. You got it all out perfectly. Okay. Air quotes, perfect. And you spend all this time and then it's crickets, right? Crickets. No one's buying on the other side. You didn't even give an opportunity to go beta test it. You didn't even give an opportunity for your customers to give feedback and the product is for them. Let them help you build it. Let them help you get to the next side of your website to see what's actually working so you can enhance those things. So I really, really believe in an iterative process. Done is better than perfect. Perfectionism is probably the number one worst trait that we have. And we like glorify, we're so perfectionist, like we glorify it. Or we, I see like when people, like when I do interviews, like for our team, like with 300 team members, I've I've hired a lot of people and it's like, oh, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like as if that's like a good thing, right? We say that. And it's not like, you know what I would love to hear from a candidate is to say that I want to get the job done. I will go back to ensure that we can enhance things, but I want to get the job done on time. And that is super important wherever you are in your business journey, corporate journey, life journey, get it done, get it out there. Someone's going to love it and you can iterate on it if it's not perfect. I love this. And I think it's also a responsible thing to do to get it out there and iterate. Cause like you said, you know, maybe customers have a completely different vision of what the messaging is or what the product is. Like before we went on the podcast, I was sharing more about Bia. And like the first thing I said, I was like, Sunira, we're redesigning the website. Like it's not amazing. And that's my own self-talk that I need to work on. But we launched without the website being an amazing because I knew it didn't matter because I want to learn. What was the like- first thing I said to you? I said, I love your brand and your website. That's the first thing I said to you. You're like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm changing it right now. We all hate our website. I still hate my website. (laughs) I will tell you that. I've gone through 20 iterations of it. You will always hate. What it stops us is from getting out. And I think that's with social media, right? I think a lot of people, social media is that it's like, it's your personal website, right? Whenever you have like your brand, your message, your face, your identity, the reason why it's hard for us to get it out, it's simple. It's because... It's a representation of us. Bia is a representation of you. So you don't want me to have a judgment based on like your highest level of you're like, I know it's not excellent. And I don't want scenario to be like, oh, well, this is like this because you want it to be your best. Okay. So that is human nature. And that's an awesome, ambitious, amazing thing. But what it's going to stop, and this happens is why people don't show up for social media is because you try to highly curate or do like, it's too hard if you're trying to show up perfectly. And I think that what's interesting is that the accounts that we follow and that we love are not perfect feeds, are not the messy feeds, or are the messy feeds, or are the ones that are real and raw and not like the perfectly curated sunsets and I don't know what, like whatever that is, right? And so give yourself grace. Like the way that we view ourselves is so different than the way that we view the world. And so that's what perfectionism does is we end up not putting ourselves out there or not showing up because we're so stressed out about that judgment that honestly, no one really cares about like those, that little detail yes. of something you probably have on your website. Like I will not see it, nor do I care. I just want to yeah. buy your product. I just want to yeah. see like <laughs> your brand aesthetic looks great. I feel like I resonate with it as a customer. Your messaging's on point. It's simple. Boom. That's good enough. Yes. No. And it's so true. And I just want to share this in case it inspires anybody on Bia's Instagram. We've been doing four pieces of content a day. And at that level, like there's no time for it to be perfect. And like we have typos and we just are showing up and being real. We have never seen so much growth before from just us being who we are. And it makes it easier for you to even tap into content because it's just you. You're just showing up as like what you're passionate about. So it's true. And it can really move the needle in terms of your business when you're just who you are as a person. And I love the way you also have done that with CEO school. So I love it. And I just hit follow. And it's awesome. (laughs) You have really great stuff on here. And look at it. Like it's growing and it's doing amazing. And you almost didn't even start that. Like this is so cool. 
that you've birthed this thing. I'm so inspired by women entrepreneurs. Like, this is what I love. Oh, no, you're amazing. And, you know, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, you were saying you did a million in revenue, five million in payments year one, and you have been doubling year over year. You know, you're now bringing in, I believe it's like over 100 million in recurring revenue. During this crazy roller coaster of a process, you also had two young kids. And I appreciate just how honest you are because, as someone who is building a business, has very high aspirations, I don't have kids yet, but I do want it. And a lot of people did question that. They're like, wait, you want kids and you're ambitious? I'm like, why do we have to choose? We can do both. So I want to get your perspective around, you know, you had kids when you were really building from day one and you guys had serious growth. So was it overwhelming for a certain period of time until you put certain systems in place? But I'd love to just get like the real and authentic view of what your life looked like kind of managing both. It's hard. It's for sure hard, but it's so doable. And I was so tired of feeling like I had to choose. At one point, I did feel like I had to choose. I had to choose my company and it was scaling amazing. And it was my first baby. Like I literally love stacks the way I love, like it's my first child. Everybody knows it. And it really is. I treat it like a human. I believe that business is personal. A hundred percent business is personal. And people told me my entire career, I'm to this, I'm to that. I'm too attached. I'm too like, no, I love it. I built this thing. I'm going to care for it more than anybody else is ever going to care for this. And so I felt like I had to choose because my first baby's doing amazing. I got to give it attention it's growing. And then I really did want to start a family. And, you know, with women, like we do have a biological clock, you know, and like those things do, you're like, Hey, do I want to, you know, the choice was, do I continue on to the business? Maybe go through like some freeze, like, you know, or maybe wait a couple of years and then have, you know, a child and there's no right or wrong answer. But, you know, I was like, this shouldn't be the case. Like I should be able to have it all. And I underestimated it for sure. I was definitely in that lens of like, well, I can do it, right? I can absolutely do it. And I have that mentality. I have a lot of like confidence and being like, I can do everything. But you really can. Is it easy? No. Do you have to super prioritize your time 100%? Do you make it happen? Absolutely. Okay. And so Mila was born and I would just take her to the office. Like I would take her to like when I had to travel for work, I traveled with her. You know, when I had to breastfeed her and then go to a meeting, like, I literally just had to make things work. And I will say that some people like look at that and like, oh, well, you have help and you have resources. You do what you have to do to get the job done. Like I will tell you, and you know, I never for once wanted, it wasn't one over the other. I just really believe in work-life integration is how I've been able to really just make things. I don't believe there is no, I tried to chase balance for so long. And I learned that there was no balance. Again, this is the world telling us it's like this perfect balance. I call it work-life integration. There are times that I am heads down in stacks or I have you know, two days and I'm a great CEO. But then the next two days or the full weekend, like I'm 100% dedicated to my kids. And so if you look at your week and you're like, man, we put so much pressure on being the perfect mom, the perfect business owner, the perfect working professional, the perfect wife, the perfect impact driver and doing like having your podcast and building a brand and all, like you put all these things in a day, you're never going to have a perfect day. That's our perfectionist again in us. There's no such thing. But if you zoom out for the week and you're like, great, okay, I'm doing the work thing and I'm doing the mom thing. And I make sure that I'm fully present in the things I need to be fully present for and you manage your time effectively that you're really pouring into those buckets, that's how you achieve air quotes balance. It's just integration. And what's like the most important lesson I've learned is you just say no to everything else that isn't on that super high priority list. So could I have done different things? Could I have been speaking more? Could I have done more travel? Could I have 
made new friends. Like we literally have like a no new friends policy because like I have time for new friends, right? Like I want to go hang out with everybody and have coffee dates and wine dates. I just can't. And so you just really become maniacal about your time. And I believe that the most important resource that we have is time. Like it's more important than dollar. I make all of my decisions based on the time value. Like every single decision I make is based on time value because that's the one currency I cannot get back. And so I make every decision on time value where I can spend, I want to live my life with purpose. I want to live my life with spending the time on the things that I absolutely love and spending time with my family and making an impact. And like, those are the three areas that I spend my time in. And I've just learned to be better about saying no. And so, you know, I do think that the dialogue has to change for women in the workplace. Dialogue has to change about working moms. I think the pandemic was a huge, you know, it was both, it was a setback and an accelerator in a way. Like we were able to, there was more work from home. There were, you know, a lot of great relief in that regard, but at the same time, it held us back because we were responsible for doing, you know, education for our kids and running the household and running the business and showing up for work and like all of the things. And so I think that there's a lot still left to do, but I really believe that you deserve to have it all, whatever all looks like. And that that means having five kids and a billion dollar business and having, you know, a best selling book and a personal brand and being on Good Morning America, like whatever it is that you want to do. And just you absolutely one can do it. And two, you deserve to do that. Gosh, I feel like this needs to be just a whole nother podcast. I can go into this for days, but I want to talk about, you know, you are so intentional with your time. And like you said, which is what I respect so much about the way you're building the business is work is important. Family is important. Your kids are important. Your husband, right? You are very intentional about living a purpose-driven life. And I hope to be an example like that one day as well as Bia continues to grow. So how do you think about your time management and your week? Because again, I know you're very intentional, but walk us through the way you kind of set up your day. Because I think time blocking and being very specific on what you're doing is kind of a key theme with all the amazing women on my podcast. Absolutely. I would say that being very intentional every Sunday, I call it Sunday zoom out is like a process I go through. And I just, I really believe in having systems in place like for your life and for your business and for your work and for your kids. And so systems are something that I live and breathe by everywhere. There's a system. I call on my playbooks. I share all my playbooks And so I do believe in having the right systems. And one of my systems is Sunday Zoom Out. So every Sunday, I sit down and I go through my calendar for the week. And I ensure that you know the right things are in place from a work perspective. If there's anything I need to move or if it feels too heavy or you know if I can put things in zones or in blocks, if I'm doing you know, podcasts, can I group them together? If I have team one-on-ones... And usually my calendar is already designed that way in a blocked setting for work. But you know what? I'm a CEO. Like It's really busy and people need me. And so there are things that happen. It cannot be perfect in these perfect zones either. So I do have to adjust things to make sure that it fits my energy level as well. So I really focus on energy maintenance. So I wouldn't be booking this podcast at 4 p.m., right? 5 p.m. Like I need to make sure that it is at the right time. I don't want to be doing a podcast after 2 p.m. or lives or things that are going to be energy outward. And so I try to think about energy maintenance So that's one thing I go through from a work calendar. Then once my work calendar is set, I then go through and add like what's happening for the family, right? So we know, and it's already in there because I do that monthly, but making sure if anything needs to move around, things for the kids. My daughter is five, but she's super overachiever. I don't know where she gets it from. (laughs) Um, She plays the piano. She's in ballet. She's like in kindergarten, but she has like a million activities. 
And my three-year-old only wants to stay at home. She's like our COVID baby. So she's like, she only grew up with us in the home. So she does not want to do anything besides hang out with us. So Mila is so busy. And so just making sure that all of my family stuff is on the calendar. Date night is on the calendar. My husband and I have been together since we were like 21. So we still do date night every single week because that's important to us in our relationship. So it's not every Tuesday that it works out. Sometimes it's Thursday. Sometimes maybe it's just a coffee date. Maybe it's a lunch date, right? Maybe it's breakfast by ourselves. Like I try to ensure that that's part of it. And then the third thing is me schedule, right? So I am in my family too. And so next is like my workouts and making sure that those are on my calendar. And it's not like a bullshit calendar. I'm like putting stuff in. Like what am I intentionally setting my intention for the week for? And it's so important to do that, to say, yes, I'm committing. And I don't overcommit either because I don't want to be like, oh, Monday through Friday, I'm going to be doing 6 a.m., you know, Barry's bootcamp or whatever I'm doing. No, like I am intentional. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to schedule my two workouts. I also try to make a lot of my friend dates around the things that are my me time and things like that. So I can like meet a friend. I have friends I go for walks with. I have friends I run with. I have friends I go to yoga with. And so I try to kind of like think about my fitness and health in that way. And so I plug those in. And then lastly, I plug in CEO school. And so based on that time, right? So Stacks is in there, Family is in there, Me is in there. Then I'm like, okay, great. How am I... So for those that don't know, I have a podcast as well called CEO school. I started it in the pandemic because I didn't go to CEO school. And I was like, you know, every day I was showing up just sharing business for women and just my personal journey in business, answering questions. So I had this like wind down Wednesday live session like every Wednesday And it just eventually was going to be a podcast. So I ended up launching the podcast during the pandemic. And it's just been so fun. And there's an amazing community. We have over 300,000 women in the community. We've got courses. We've got masterclasses. We've got memberships. We've got a subscription. We've got all these really cool things. And this tiny impact project, which started as a tiny impact project, is now like so massive and so unbelievable. And so then I have to take into account CEO school and that. And so I'll plug in you know, if we're doing podcast recordings and we'll, or if I have any collaborations or if I'm speaking or whatever that looks like. So that's the last thing that goes into the calendar. And then that's it. And so that's like a method that I use and I treat it with a lot of respect. I treat that system with a lot of respect and all the right people are on it. And so it takes that extra, literally, it sounds like it takes a lot of time. It literally takes me 15 minutes on Sunday. Like it is not that long. Yes. I think planning is so crucial to everything. And even like to manage the overwhelm, anytime I sit down and really plan for the week. And I think, like you said, having real expectations for so long, I was like, I'm going to do these meetings. Sometimes I think I'm a robot and it's so not the case. Like I cannot do a million things, but having like realistic expectations of what goes in your week, planning properly. I really truly believe that's a superpower. And I'm excited you have your journal because we'll share all of that. You know, I want to end just talking a little bit more about CEO school. And it's crazy to me because I know you talk about this stat and it really, like blows my mind and gets me super upset. But you know, only 2% of female founders are breaking the million dollar in revenue. I think I talked to my husband about this, like every other week, I'm like, I don't understand how this is possible. But tell me more about you know, what you're building with CEO school. I know you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but like, who is it good for? Because I'm very passionate about this. And I so appreciate you really making that impact of, you know, helping women get to that next level and providing the right resources, which I think is so important and community, which is key. It really is. And that was the statistic that I read in 2020 that really changed the game for me. I was so furious. I read a Forbes article and it was less than 2% of female founders are hitting 1 million in revenue. And I was like, holy shit, this cannot be real. Like that number is atrocious. It's atrocious, (laughs) right? 
And men are like eight times more likely to succeed in just hitting milestones in business. And it's like, why is that? And so I did a lot of like, it just really struck me. Like that was that time. And I was like, this has to change. Everyone's having air quotes, a dialogue about women in business and more women in business stories and blah, 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 blah. But where's the action? Because it's obviously not translating, right? And then I go into this crazy like research mode and I become obsessed with the statistic, like really grossly obsessed with it. I could probably write a research paper on why I believe that we haven't made it to this level, but it's because we're not given the research. Like we don't have a seat at the table, period. Less than 3% of venture goes to women-founded companies. Less than 1% of venture goes to minority founders, not just men and women. So when we're talking about women of color, we're in the decibels, decibels, okay? So one, there's no funding to actually scale businesses. So when you have... And what's interesting is that like almost 50% of the businesses are started by women. So I want to start with that stat because it's not like we're like, oh, we make up a small percentage of business owners. No, uh-uh. We are literally half the business population. Okay. We're half the consumers and we're half the people that start businesses. Yet we're the ones that don't make it. Why? And it's because we're perfectionists, we're risk averse, we don't have the resources. And also, I believe representation really does matter because what's happening is that knowledge is being shared in the boys' club, you know, in the locker rooms, in the golf courses, in the country clubs. And so they are recruiting the same style of companies. They are giving business to the same style of companies. And so there aren't enough women advocating for women as well. And there's not enough, there's men that are air quotes advocating for women, but where is the action? So the action part is what is actually missing in the business world. And when I was looking back at my journey, and at that point, we were probably five, six years in my journey at Stacks. We had over, you know, like 20 million in revenue or 15 million in revenue or something like that. So we're a sizable business. We're a, you know, eight figure recurring revenue SaaS company. I had raised 20 million in venture capital. I had done it both times pregnant, by the way. We do an entire episode on like the sexist venture fintech system out there. So I'm a tell all girl. I get kicked out of a lot of podcasts and shows and I'm definitely very vocal, but it's the truth. It's my truth and it is obnoxious. And so, when you look back at what's taking place, I felt there's so much gatekeeping in business. And I don't want to learn from finance bros and all of the advice and mentorship. They're all men telling me how to be a successful CEO, which I am not a man in a skirt. I am a mother. I have like empathetic leadership qualities. Like I don't, and I have so much imposter syndrome. I didn't even get an MBA. I didn't go to CEO school. And so for me, I felt like I was trying to live in this perfect box of what I should be as a CEO. I got so tired of it. And when I finally just really stepped into my own power as CEO, which is like, just be myself and to not give a fuck and to, you know, speak my mind and to like really have confidence behind the things that I really care about, which is people always over profits, right? That's when my company literally had its hockey stick growth and trajectory. We were growing linearly and we were growing extremely rapidly. But I would say that the real evolution of the company really came where I feel like I was really in my zone, in my power. And I started CEO school, which started as a podcast. And then people wanted more resources. All your listeners are definitely going to love it. Definitely subscribe. It's like how I built this for girls, for women and underrepresented founders is what I like to call it. And every Monday we interview women who've broken that 2%. I call it the 2% club, how they made it, what they did, tactical tips. I mean, these are across all industries because we want to learn from more women, not just from the bros club. 
And so I think a lot has to change. And then for CEO school, I felt like what was next was actually creating a business community for women in business and entrepreneurs and actually sharing the playbooks to scale. What are the actual things? And I had to learn all of this through my own experiences and failures. But if I just had somebody show me like, Hey, maybe do your, you know, systems this way or hire people this way, or just standard, just systems in place for your business for scale. And just having that community is so important. And so I didn't have any of that. And so because I didn't have a seat at the table, we've built our own and everyone is welcome. I'm so excited. I can't wait for our listeners to learn more about this. And to your point, you're right. Like men do have that. My husband's an entrepreneur. He always has friends reaching out to him or they have conversations about like the nitty gritty, like metrics, what systems are you using? And I'm like, I want that. And of course I have an amazing friend group that I've built because I felt like that was so important. And, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of CEO school as well, but these types of conversations of tactical shit is like what really takes your business to the next level. And then of course, like once you hit the seven figure mark, there's a whole other set of tools that take you to the next level to where you are. But these conversations are so important. Talking about real business stuff and like people who are doing it is really, really important. So I just love you, Sunir. I love everything you're doing. I'm so passionate about this. So I am so excited. Thank you again for joining us. And we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Anytime. You can have me back on anytime. I'd love to invite you back for an amazing Wind Down Wednesday episode. We could talk all things together. You're an inspiration. I love that you're breaking out, becoming an entrepreneur. I cannot wait to support Bia as well. And you know, this is how we make changes. We actually, it's not just about talking the talk, it's walking the walk, it's buying, right? Like if you want to support a woman in business, buy her products, share her stuff, and like actually put your money where your mouth is, right? Tell your companies that you're working for to support more women vendors. Like there's actual action that we can be taking to break those statistics. And I'm just excited to not only have the dialogue, but to create a place where we can all take action. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone can follow me online, by the way. I'm Sanira Madani at Sanira Madani. You can follow me online. You can follow Stacks Payments. And so quick shout out, if you are a business owner, switch to Stacks Payments. We're an incredible payment platform. Shoot me a DM and check out CEO School as well. So all of it, you can start on Instagram and it'll take you everywhere that you need to go. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.